Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. She leads the second largest university in the state of Maryland. In her nearly four years at Towson University, Kim Schatzel has been named one of the most influential Marylanders and one of the most admired CEOs. Now she's talking to the Free To Be More podcast about how the campus is growing and her push to see increasing diversity in the students who attend. President Kim Schatzel, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. It really is. Yeah. So I really want to go back to the start with you. You don't have a traditional background for a college president. So what was it that made you get into this field? Yeah, I, I spent 20 years in business. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first job was a second shift trim foreman with Ford Motor Company making Pintos. Um, and I was a foreman because they didn't have gender neutral titles back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they now call them production supervisors. Mm-hmm. Uh, So I spent 20 years in manufacturing, advanced manufacturing. I did merger and acquisition work, and I was the CEO of a multinational advanced manufacturing company that was located in Detroit. And I partnered with a a French company and a Swiss company to be able to do that. And after serving as the CEO for about five years, um, I was burned out, uh, in all honesty, because creating the company was 100-hour weeks. Uh, for five years. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're a CEO and you can't give 110%, you shouldn't be the CEO. Mm -hmm. So I stepped away from the company and then had to decide what I was going to do next. Um, I knew what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to start another company. I didn't want to work for somebody else. I actually had my second child uh, that time as well. So I I did something very productive Mm -hmm. uh, and and very, very, uh, and added to the family to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And then I just started thinking about getting a Ph.D., mm-hmm. and I actually flew around the country and interviewed doctoral programs uh, to kind of see what made sense, because I didn't know if it was going to make sense for me to be able to do it. Sure. And I actually talked with uh, Roger Calatone, who at the time was the head of the doctoral program at Michigan State, and we just hit it off, and, and I started talking about areas of interest that I wanted to better understand. And he said, oh, yeah, you can do that. So he really strongly encouraged me, and I ended up being uh, his doctoral student and published with him and did a lot of work. So I got my Ph.D., became a faculty member. And thought that I would do consulting and do research and do teaching and do that kind of work. But in the early 2000s, there was a significant shift in higher ed. Mm-hmm. It used to be public institutions got about 80% of their um, funding from the state mm-hmm. and 20% from tuition. And starting about that time, those numbers rotated. Sure. Um, and now virtually every single institution in the United States has less than 20% of the funding mm-hmm. from the state. Um, so people that understood business models and people that understood the business side of higher ed, those skill sets were valued. And so I, I started doing administrative work, and the rest is kind of uh, history. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been really blessed with two fantastic careers mm-hmm. and, and feel good about it and always encourage people to think about that. Mm-hmm. How does your background in business kind of inform how you lead a university? I think that one of the things that it does is the fact that I understand the business model itself. Um, so I really take a look at the sustainability. And particularly if you look today, 
Higher education is under stress from enrollment situations, from cuts in funding from the state. So sources of funds to continue excellence in education and offer the type of university experience that we want is a challenge. Mm-hmm. So as a business person, we look at dollars and cents. We look at sources and uses of cash. We can be able to see where we want to make investments. So it's not spending money. It's what do you want to invest in? And mm-hmm. I think that's a different type of attitude that I bring to it is where are we going to invest to be able to uh, advance the institution and the university experience. It also provides the fact that I can take the language of higher education and convert it into business language. Mm-hmm. So when I'm talking to legislators, when I'm talking to the governor's office, the controller, even our own regents, I can say it in business terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that translates very well. And it's all about the student experience and student success is what we're after. Mm-hmm. Are you able to take that, uh, you know, today's student it's so different because it used to be people would go out, they get a job, and they did that job for 40 years, and then they retired. You have had two very different careers, and students graduating today could have three, four, five careers. Do you use what happened to you personally to inform how these students are educated, knowing that they may have multiple careers? Oh, oh absolutely. I mean, you know, it's interesting that you say that. Actually, people will have probably seven, eight, nine yeah. careers today. It's rare that people switch Industries. I mean, I switched industry. Mm -hmm. People will switch jobs. They might be on the marketing side or the finance side within a certain industry. So actually, one of the things that I always talk to students about when they're looking at their first job, I always talk to them about, it doesn't make a difference what the job is, but what industry do you want to be in? Uh, Because if you tend to start in pharmaceuticals and in five years from now, you suddenly want to switch to banking, that would be a hard thing to be able to do. Um, A lot of people don't talk to students that way, or or young people don't really think about the industry that they really get attracted to and switch that way. But I talk to them about that. Our career center that where uh, is a priority for me on the campus um, also deals with that. Today, when students are picking and families are looking at universities, it used to be that the goal of going to college was to be able to get educated. Now, the number one reason is to get a job. Mm-hmm. So there's a much closer correlation between selection and employment than we ever saw before. Um, we want to be able to reset our career center, and we have a fantastic one now, but really be able to have it as an experience the students start out with as freshmen. Mm-hmm. So when you come in as a student, we say, okay— Here's what you need to do to graduate in four years. There's the classes that you need to take. These are the types of courses. If you want to do an internship, if you want to study abroad, and we kind of lay out a program for them. Similarly, what we want to be able to do is as a freshman say, okay, here's the things you need to do to be able to position yourself for that job when you graduate as well. And those are lifelong skills to be able to understand career management, for example. And what we want to be able to do is to have it open to our alumni. So if you graduated from Towson and five years from now, when you're at one of those inflection points, which we all go through, Mm -hmm. to be able to change careers or to be able to change jobs, you can come back to Towson and you can be able to get support to be able to explore that and to be able to talk to people about what you might want to do to do that better and more Mm -hmm. effectively. So, yeah, I think it's important to be able to do. You've talked about universities really relying on tuitions now more than they have relied on them in the past. And yet tuition rates have gone up pretty much across the country. So how do you talk to those incoming students about how important higher education is as an investment as opposed to a different path? That's a great question. I mean, one of the things that has been uh, a goal both of the state of Maryland as well as the university system of Maryland as well as Towson University 
is to make sure we have affordable, accessible Mm -hmm. education. And we certainly do. In terms of where we're ranked within the 50 states, Maryland is very well positioned in terms of being able to do that. And we appreciate the support that we're getting from the state in order to have that occur as well. But when you take a look at the investment that a student makes in terms of uh, college education, the average debt load that a student gets when they're coming out of Towson is Mm $24,000. That's less than a car. Sure. And if you're taking a look at the fact that somebody with a college degree versus somebody that not, um, the unemployment rate for somebody without a college degree is double. It's about 8%. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're looking at the lifetime income, uh, the earnings potential, it's over a million dollars. So the, the return is there. Uh, higher education and getting a college degree is one of the best investments somebody can make in themselves for their economic prosperity. But it's also the fact that people who are college graduates, they vote more frequently. Mm-hmm. Their marriages last longer. Uh, If you ask them about happiness when they're 30, 40, or 50 years old, the statistics show they're happier. So there's a lot of reasons why, but basically college education provides a great return on investment. It really does. Mm -hmm. You have been at Towson about four years now. What do you think has changed about the perception of the university, and what are some of those challenges? Because I think four years ago, People still were looking at Towson as maybe a commuter school when that's not really what the university is anymore. That's exactly it. When I first came, it has been that for a while. Sure. Uh, when I came to Towson four years ago, uh, I came from Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I did was uh, have a listening tour. So I went out and I spent about 60 days talking to folks on campus, off campus in Annapolis, uh, just all over the state, business people, community people, alumni, about Towson. And one of the things that I found was people, I would tell them that we were the second largest and fastest growing in the state, and they would say, really? Mm-hmm. Or I would tell them we're the largest university, public or private, in greater Baltimore, and they'd say, I didn't know that. Or they would say, as you said, uh, I would tell them 91% of our freshmen live on campus. Mm-hmm. And they'd say, I thought you were a commuter school. Mm-hmm. And then they would ask about us being a teacher's college, and I would tell them that our largest college is actually our College of Health Professions. We have the largest health professions university in the the state. And what I found is that we needed to retell the contemporary story of Towson, the Mm -hmm. 2019 story of Towson. So we went through that process of doing it. We've rebranded the institution. We've... uh, uh, work very hard to be able to get that story out of our sizes and our, our impact, and that we are an anchor institution for this region and for the state. Um, also, just the diversity of our classes. Uh, you know, we've had a, a very, very diverse class this past fall, and the institution itself, in terms of student population and enrollment, is highly diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and we reflect. Maryland. So it's not just about percentages of minorities or the enrollment. It's about the fact that our students reflect the high school graduating class of Maryland. Mm -hmm. So we are preparing Maryland's future leaders uh, and the citizens that are going to be part of the state and its prosperity going forward. And we're quite proud of that. Mm -hmm. The Free to Be More podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Visit the Central Library's new thought-provoking exhibit, Undesign the Red Line, an interactive experience that invites participants to learn the history, interact with the stories, and invent a new future by undoing structural inequities. November 1st through January 31st at the Pratt Central Library. More details at prattlibrary.org. You talk about uh, diversity and inclusion, and those are a big part of what you've brought into the university. In 2012, 
Towson did make headlines for a student wanting to start a white student union. It kind of exposed some of the divisions that were happening within the student body. From 2012 to now 2019, how much progress do you feel like you've made towards those goals of diversity and inclusion? So I, I always start by saying you're never done. Of course, um, yeah. Absolutely never done. Uh, my my commitment to diversity and inclusion and the university's commitment really comes from several places. The first is, is the fact that I firmly believe you cannot have a high-quality university classroom and community experience without a diverse campus and classroom. Mm-hmm. If everybody is the same, then you're you're not hearing different perspectives. You're not learning about different ideas, values, experiences, and that creates a richness of a classroom, and that creates a, the best possible uh, university experience. So having diversity in our classrooms and our campus is absolutely critical to have the kind of high-quality university experience we want to be able to have. Mm-hmm. Also, if our students learn how to thrive and support others to thrive inclusively, well, they're just going to be better prepared to lead in a global world. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a business person, success in a firm and in an organization, is it's all about the talent. Company, the firm with the best talent, they win. Yep. And if you're somebody that can step into a situation and support people from different backgrounds, different demographics, different orientations, so you can be a leader in a highly diverse environment, you're going to be valued. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be able to make change, and you're going to be an effective leader. So that's part of what it also provides is the fact that we're having our students be able to experience and to be able to develop that capacity. Mm-hmm. And then you asked me about the business side of it as well. Well, the fact that high school graduates are reflecting a much more diverse population, that fact that we are a welcoming and inclusive campus means the fact that we are a destination for mm-hmm. those that want to be in that kind of an environment. And I look at it as almost a contractual or moral obligation. If somebody is admitted to campus and it's a Towson and they enroll, and because of, the, uh, because of their identity, because of their ethnicity, race, Uh, sexual orientation uh, or religion, that they have to confront obstacles or challenges that others don't, um, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. So we want all our students to fulfill their greatest potential and to thrive in an inclusive way. You even have, is it a diversity strategic plan, like a specific Absolutely. strategic plan? That's really, is that unique amongst universities to have something like that or no? Well, we're we're the only, uh, when I first came to campus, we hired a vice president of inclusion and institutional equity. So that was one of the priorities that uh, that I had and that we made as a campus at that time. And, and it's a game changer mm-hmm. uh, to be able to have someone who's at a vice presidential level that sits at the president's cabinet so that every time we're talking about any decision that we're making, any time we're talking about any action we're taking, we always talk about how is that going to impact inclusion and diversity Mm -hmm. because that voice is at the table. Mm -hmm. And it's changed much of what we've done, Mm -hmm. uh, little and big. And we're the only university within the university system of Maryland, I think within the state, that has a chief diversity officer that is reporting to the president. Mm -hmm. And it shows the commitment that we have to it. And it's, it's been a game changer for us. Very much transformational. Have you seen other higher education like organizations wanting to model after what you guys are doing? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, people are asking us constantly in terms of, of what that looks like to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the numbers. One of the things that we're very proud of at Towson is the fact that our, our six-year graduation rate is about 73%. Mm-hmm. It's the second highest in the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, the University System of Maryland, uh, we have no completion gap. 
all of our students uh, succeed at the same level as the general population. That is very rare, unfortunately, across the country. Mm -hmm. In fact, our African-American students complete at a higher rate than the general population. Mm -hmm. And our Pell-eligible students, which are those that are generally economically not as advantaged, they're graduating at the same rate as the general population. So again, it's pointing to the fact that our students uh, thrive and they succeed inclusively, and we're quite proud of that. I want to pivot a little bit to a hurdle that you guys faced this year with reports of sexual assaults on campus. You know, a couple of years ago, there was a report that came out nationally that said that universities weren't doing enough to address this. You really addressed this head on this year. And why was that so important for you? Well, I, th- I you know, one of the things that I can tell you is the fact that we had, the sexual assault that happened on campus happened in the residence halls. Mm-hmm. All sexual assaults are violent in nature mm-hmm. and as a rule, I mean, that's what it means. But the fact that it happened on campus, it happened in a residence hall, and the fact that Towson has a reputation and it has statistics that provide it's the safest residential campus within the state, it had an impact and it had uh, harm on the campus because of the, all of that. There was a dissonance. Mm-hmm. And the students in general were, were and the community were reeling from the fact of, we thought we were safe. Are we really safe? That's what we thought. It was important for me and it was important for the leadership team to have a forum where we talked with the students. We had almost 350 people that attended. Mm. Um, It was a closed session. We asked everybody not to tweet, not to take video, not Mm. to do that because people were telling stories and people were um, talking about experiences or thoughts that we that they were sharing that were, uh, were were pretty powerful. And we wanted to make a very safe place for people to be able to do that. When we came out of that, we learned a lot. Uh, we also showed the fact that we were going to be transparent and we were going to be responsive to the to the community in terms of being able to do that. Uh, so every other week for the, since that time, we've been publishing a, an update, and my leadership team's gotten together to be able to show that we are responding to the concerns, to the questions, to the suggestions that the community has to be able to feel safer. A great example is we had a safe walk. We had the students and our facilities people and our TUPD walk throughout the campus to be able to just see areas where a sidewalk might be able to be put in so that they didn't have to walk on some of the roadways, that maybe there was some hedges that were a little bit too high Mm -hmm. that you couldn't see around, and to be able to cut those down, to be able to improve lighting in different areas. Uh, But anything that we could do to improve the safety or the perception of safety on the campus was important to us. What's been the reaction from the students, that level of collaboration and transparency? I I mean, the feedback that I'm getting from them, uh, and I'm working with the SGA directly on that, we really want to make sure that not only are they giving uh, feedback in terms of what we should be doing to be able to improve the safety of the campus and the sense of security on the campus, as well as to be able to take a look at uh, issues with regard to sexual assault training Mm -hmm. and mental health. One of the areas that we are going to be addressing out of this is the fact that we're going to have a much bigger emphasis in terms of the university being able to provide for mental health support for our students themselves. Forty percent of students that come to campus right now have a behavioral health issue that they're bringing to campus with them. It's it's the way it is, Mm -hmm. and and universities need to be far more responsive in doing that. So we're taking a look at creating a position that will be a a university well-being and uh, position. 
to be able to directly address mental health on the campus for our faculty, staff, and students. And again, provide for that kind of support so they can realize their fullest potential. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting talking about those two things when you talk about mental health, sexual assault. Those are things that had a stigma kind of around them five years ago, three years ago. And now it feels like everyone is addressing those head on and there isn't that stigma anymore I or the agree. attempt to to make sure that there isn't and to have people come forward. I absolutely agree. And I think, I mean, one of the things that we've talked with the students about is removing the stigma, mm-hmm. um, is to be able to have those conversations, both in terms of education as well as response and support that we're able to provide. Mm-hmm. And I think it's absolutely critical to be able to do that. It was interesting, after we had the forum, and I actually left the forum, um, there were some folks that, there was actually some media that was asking me, and they said, the students seemed upset when they came out. And I said, well, we were talking about sexual assault and behavioral health. Those are emotional Mm -hmm. issues. Those are things that touch people very deeply that people have experienced. I I wouldn't have expected anything else but all the community members to be upset, to Mm -hmm. have concerns, to to come out uh, feeling very, very uh, deeply touched. And in many ways, those events harmed the campus that we needed to be able to respond to. Mm -hmm. So as a community, uh, we still have work to do, but I'm really proud of how we work together through this. Yeah, those are definitely important conversations to have in that environment. Um, It's 2020. It is the year of the woman. And yet in 2017, there was a study that came out that said only 30% of college presidents are female. Have you faced any challenges you feel as a female college president that maybe would not have presented themselves to a male college president? Um, I've always been the first woman until this job. Interestingly (laughs) enough. When I heard your background, I was like, well, she's faced that for a long time. I've always, always been the first woman in a job. I always tell people about my first job at Ford when I was uh, a foreman that when my first week on the job, my boss told me that it was unnatural for me to be in this position. And then I was taking the job from a man that needed it to support his family. And why was I doing this? Wow. Um, So a lot's changed since 1978. (laughs) But I can say the fact that I'm not the first woman in this role, that Mm -hmm. there's been uh, women before me. In fact, uh, Sarah Richmond, who was kind of the president that I always look to, Mm -hmm. Sarah Richmond was the fourth president of Towson University, the first woman president. She was actually a member of the first class and the member of the first graduating class. And she's the one that moved Towson University, at the time it wasn't Towson, it was normal school, from Baltimore to the York Road campus. Mm -hmm. And she built Stevens Hall, Newell Hall, and the power plant. And I always add the fact she did it all before women were allowed to vote in the United States. So she's, she must have been a formidable amazing. force. But I think I have, I, you know, I always use the answer, uh, you know, when uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was asked, when do we have enough women on the Supreme Court? She said, when there are nine. <laughs> and my answer is when people say women, there will be enough women presidents. They say when it's 100 mm-hmm. percent. Um, I think that uh, having diversity at the top and in the leadership team is important. I made it a priority for me when I came in was to have my leadership team be more diverse, not just, again, for the numbers, but it should reflect uh, the student population. But even more importantly, diverse teams make better decisions. Research has shown that. Mm-hmm. 
So to bring diversity into your team and into your organization is critical. So um, I've always felt supported uh, in my role. Mm -hmm. As a college president, I work really hard to be able to mentor women who are coming through as well as others Mm -hmm. to have that opportunity to be able to talk to them. That's how we get to that 100%, right? (laughs) Don't pay to download your favorite e-books and e-audiobooks. You can do it for free at the Pratt Library. Access some of the most in-demand titles today. You can put away your credit card. All you need is a Pratt Library card. More information on how to access our e-library at prattlibrary.org. I want to look towards the future with Towson. You guys have a lot coming up. You have a new new science building opening in 2020. That's just one. Yeah. Um, what are you excited about with with that new building? Well, in? well, I have to say that you know, I, I one of one of the nicknames for me, I think, is becoming Kim the Contractor <laughs> because we have about seven hundred million dollars worth of investment that's yes. going in uh, to the campus over about a five year period. Mm-hmm. And that's more than has gone into the campus for the previous 25 years. Mm-hmm. So when we have alumni coming back and they're like, wow, this is, looks so different. Sure. I just say, we'll come back in five years. You haven't seen anything. Exactly. And then on top of it, though, we also have uh, the fact that in Towson itself, uh, you've got Towson Row going in, 101 York. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, Circle East going in. There's about a billion dollars worth of investment that's going into downtown Towson. Mm-hmm. So if you put a stick at the corner of Bosley and York Road where that Starbucks is and do about a quarter mile circle, you're looking at about $1.7 billion worth of investment going in mm-hmm. to that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we believe that's the law, most per square foot than anywhere in the state of Maryland. And we think Towson University has a lot to do with that investment. And we're quite proud to be the catalyst for that type of economic development in Towson and in Baltimore County. We've had a fantastic time partnering with the city council, Mm -hmm. as well as with the county executive and the support that we're uh, having there. Uh, We're going to be moving into the armory uh, in the the fall. And the building across the street, uh, 401 Washington, is going to be a place where we're going to be moving uh, Towson University personnel into that space as well. It's about 110,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. So we are making a presence in Towson, and and we want to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about that new business engagement center that's going in. Um, Being someone who was in business prior to this, is that something that's sort of near and dear to your heart? Yeah, absolutely is. I mean, one of the things that we did when we came to Towson and when I came to Towson is we started an initiative called BTU, which is about Baltimore-Towson University partnerships. And we have over 350 partnerships with nonprofits, schools, and government agencies around the state, excuse me, around the greater Baltimore area. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're quite proud of the impact that we make. We wanted to be deliberate about doing very much the same thing in terms of the business sector. Sure. Was to be able to make a very intentional connection with them and to create a business engagement center, to create a space where we can be able to have incubators, have startups, have corporate groups come in, where we can be able to make those kind of connections. And it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we produce almost 6,000 graduates a year, so we're able to uh, foster 
uh, having those relationships with businesses. And we just saw that a business engagement center was the, was the right thing to do and that we want to be a catalyst for business success and business growth in the region. Mm-hmm. When you do have neighbors that say, oh, Towson's growing, it's taking over, you know, the university itself, how do you combat that? And how are you working with the neighbors to bring them into a place like a business engagement center that's not just strictly for students? Yeah, that's a great question. We want to be great neighbors. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the first thing that we want to be able to do. So uh, we work very closely with the community groups to be able to understand how we can do that better. We're doing movies on campus. We want to be able to start more types of community activities on the campus in the summertime and be able to engage them that way. Anything that we could do to get involved with the greater Towson area is something we want to do. Every spring, we have the big event. We take over 2,000 of our students go into the community and do cleanup. Uh, They work to do minor repair. Uh, And this is all student-run. We don't do it. Uh, As as a university, we're the only university in in the state that has a Carnegie classification of community engaged. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's a deliberate classification and a very, very rigorous self-study and evaluation that goes through. So community engagement is in our DNA. And I always say that it's because we started as a teacher preparation school. Mm -hmm. So that focus on the community is something that we're deeply committed to, as well as being an anchor institution. This is really extending it to business and particularly extending it to entrepreneurs and small businesses. It's so huge now. If you take a look at Baltimore and you take a look at Denver, Denver and Baltimore are within 40,000 population size. So they're virtually the same size cities. Mm -hmm. But in uh, Denver, 80% of the people in Denver work for a company under 100 employees. It is just a hotbed of entrepreneurial growth. And you see many cities that are like that. We want to be part of catalyzing Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of growth. Uh, Jobs, it's no, all research shows that job creation comes from companies that are under 100 employees. We need to be able to really be part of an ecosystem that really fosters entrepreneurship and small business growth within the region. And we're deeply committed to being doing that. Mm -hmm. What is your hope for the university in the distant future, in the five-year, 10-year, 15-year future, what do you hope for Towson? Well, I think I think we're starting to realize that yeah. potential. Um, you know, if you take a look at the impact that we make in terms of economic development, if you take a look at the impact that we make in terms of an anchor institution, if you take a look at the impact that we make in terms of applied research and scholarship, and then if you just take a look at the impact that we have as the students that leave our campus fully prepared to contribute, and the fact that we look like Maryland mm-hmm. and that we service Maryland, we're truly Maryland's university, and I want Towson to be increasingly known and increasingly committed to being Maryland's university, and what we do every single day improves the state of this region and greater Baltimore as well as the state as a whole. Mm-hmm. You talk about mentoring uh, other women, other students. Uh, was there someone in your life that was that for you that helped you on your path? Yeah, it was actually a guy uh, mm-hmm. who did it for me. Um, and when I was in my early, probably in my early 30s, and I was put into my first general manager position, um, he really sat me down and talked to me about the fact that I needed to be able to be successful by building a team. Um, and uh, I, I always tell the story, the fact that I think women, I always tell them if you're a woman, you got to learn how to network better and you got to learn how to build a team. 
in a different kind of a way. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, you'll find women will go into roles or they'll have their success built around individual contribution. Mm -hmm. um, I have to be the smartest kid in the room. I have to be the best at this. I have to be the best at that. And I think that's an emphasis that a lot of women use. Well, what happened is, is I had a mentor that talked to me about being able to manage across a team and build a team as well as to work with my colleagues. It made a big difference in my life in terms of my trajectory, in terms of my career, and, and my sense of, of leadership as well. Mm -hmm. Is there a book or some piece of art or cultural, something that kind of inspires you that uh, you go back to on a regular basis? So there's a book called The Grand Strategy mm -hmm. um, that I have on my desk at home that has little post-it notes all over it, mm -hmm. okay? And, and I read it all the time. I pick it up and try and do it. It's uh, John Lewis Gaddis does it. And it's really talking about leadership, and it's a, he's a classicist, so it's really going back and taking a look at history and finding all sorts of examples of leadership uh, in there. And it's it is just full of wonderful pieces of advice and proverbs and, and stories that could teach you a lot. Being a leader's hard. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I do when I mentor people is I tell them leadership is tough. And it doesn't matter where you are, whether it's a, you're an SGA president or whether you're a vice president of marketing and communication or a CFO or a president, but it's very fulfilling and you need to be able to uh, have that commitment to what you're trying to serve and the values you're trying to present. In the next few months, you'll have some graduates walking across I know, my stage. favorite time of year. I know. What is, you know, it's a very changing world and the job that you have today might not exist two years, three years, five years from now, what piece of advice, what do you want to impart to them going out into the world that is really ever-changing and evolving? Well, I think I think you just said it, okay, which is the fact that you have to be nimble and adaptive. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've often told people that you're going to pick a job that you think you want to be when you're 18. I mean, some everybody asks you when you go to college, <laughs> so what are you going to major in? So what are you going to major in? So you go, I want to be this, and you're 18 years old, and suddenly you're going to hit 30 and go, you know, I don't think I like that, mm -hmm. and that's perfectly okay. Okay. So to be nimble and adaptive and realize you're going to have a 50, 60-year career and to be able to, you know, trust yourself and to be able to make those types of pivots in life, I think it's pretty important. Um, you know, I pivoted when I took this job and when I spent 30 years in Maryland, best decision that I ever made. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, you know, be forward-looking, be nimble, forgive yourself when you make a mistake, I think is important to mm -hmm. do as well. And just make that investment in yourself, I think, is super important. And I think the students realize that. President Chatzel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Get help navigating the tech world with free computer classes at the Pratt. We've got something for all levels, from email basics to advanced Excel. Classes available at Pratt locations across Baltimore City. Details at prattlibrary.org. You're free to be more at the Pratt. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow the Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another Free to Be More conversation. Thanks for listening.